Welcome back to the Listener's Commentary on the Gospel of Mark. The Listener's Commentary is made possible by a generous team of supporters, people just like you. And if you want to join that team and help support the Listener's Commentary, you can do so by going to listenerscommentary.com. Listenerscommentary.com, you can click the Give button and you can set up a one-time or a recurring monthly donation. All donations are received in partnership with World Family Mission, a registered nonprofit that provides financial support and oversight to this ministry. All right, in this recording, we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 10, verses 1 through 12. And in context, what Mark does in Mark 10 is he includes several snapshots of just Jesus' ministry that really carry forward two important themes in Mark's story at this point in it. Uh, The first theme is the demands of discipleship to Jesus. And that began at that pivot point at the end of Mark chapter 8, where we're called to deny ourselves, take up our cross, follow Jesus. Well, now we're going to begin applying the specific demands of discipleship to a variety of issues. And here in Mark chapter 10, it's going to be applied to marriage, to children and status, as well as to money. So that's the first theme. The second theme that Mark 10 carries forward is the idea of continuing the teaching of the 12. In fact, a lot of part two of Mark's gospel focuses on this, how Jesus is pulling them aside and spending more time teaching them to prepare them for what lies ahead and to prepare them to really carry forward the mission after Jesus is gone. So here in Mark 10, 1 through 12, Jesus is going to focus on marriage. And this text reminds us that discipleship shapes how we view and how we do marriage. Here's the way it unfolds. Mark 10 verse 1 says, Setting out from there, Jesus went to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. Crowds gathered to him again, and as he was accustomed, he once more began to teach them. And so Jesus has traveled from the north in Galilee down south. He says he went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. So Judea is the Uh, political region down south around Jerusalem. And so you have Galilee in the north, Samaria comes next, and then Judea after that. And then beyond the Jordan, or sometimes called Perea, was a political region to the east of the Jordan River. And it's frequently just referred to as beyond the Jordan, as it is here. And so uh, Jesus has traveled down south. And Mark 10 really is uh, Jesus' final trip from Galilee to the southern region of Israel, down to Judea, and ultimately into Jerusalem. And so chapter 11 will pick up with what we call the triumphal entry. And so this is Jesus' last trip to Judea, leading up to his final week in Jerusalem, and then his crucifixion at the end of that week. And so Jesus traveled down south, and verse 2, some Pharisees came up to Jesus, testing him, And began questioning him whether it was lawful for a man to divorce his wife. Notice they come to test him. And that is probably to see where he stands on what was a rather contentious issue among the rabbis of their day. It was assumed among the Jewish rabbis that divorce was just going to be part of life. But there were two big schools of thought about uh, what you could divorce your wife for. 
Those two schools of thought were the school of Hillel and the school of Shammai. Shammai was the more conservative school among the rabbis, and that school said uh, that only in the case of adultery could a person uh, divorce his wife. Hillel, on the other hand, allowed for divorce for virtually any reason whatsoever. In fact, in Matthew's parallel account to this, Matthew 19.3, the way that the question is stated is, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any cause or for any reason? Uh, and that reflects the opinion of the school of Hillel, that, wanted, that, that was what they argued. Um, it actually seems like that more casual view of divorce in Hillel was the kind of dominant or common view. For example, the wisdom of Ben Sirach, a collection of wisdom sayings, sort of like Proverbs from the intertestamental time period, um, that collection advised divorce if your wife simply didn't follow your directions. Or the Jewish historian Josephus divorced his wife because he was no longer pleased with her behavior. Um, easy divorce was fairly common and seems to have been the dominant approach of the day. And so when these Pharisees come to Jesus testing him, they're really inviting him to weigh in on this debate that was had between the school of Shammai and the school of Hillel and was kind of a contentious issue among the rabbis. Here's how Jesus responds in verse 3. And he answered and said to them, What did Moses command you? This debate centered on Deuteronomy 24, where the law of Moses talks about giving a certificate of divorce. And the rabbis really debated the specific way that was worded. Could you divorce her for any reason, or could you? did you have to have a very limited reason? And uh, it wasn't so much that there was a command to divorce in Deuteronomy 24, but a concession. Since divorce is going to happen, Deuteronomy 24 provided a provision to protect the people involved. Jesus' choice of words, command, invites the Pharisees to think about the law of Moses, and they focus specifically on the divorce instruction in Deuteronomy 24. Here's what they say in response to Jesus' question, verse 4. They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send his wife away. Technically, Moses didn't command anything, and that's what they're getting at when they say Moses permitted. They're responding to what Jesus said and saying, well, he didn't really command anything. He permitted a husband to write a certificate of divorce. And so that technicality is important, although I do suspect that Jesus is using the word command more in the sense of instruct or instruction based on what he says in verse 5 here in just a second. This instruction is found in Deuteronomy 24.1, and the point of the instruction really is to regulate it. It already existed. Divorce already existed in the ancient Near East. It already existed in the cultures among which Israel found herself living when the law was given. So divorce was already around. This uh, instruction in Deuteronomy 24.1 sought to regulate it primarily to protect the woman so that her husband couldn't just toss her out with nowhere to turn. Um, now, one really important detail about that command in Deuteronomy 24 and really all of the Bible's instructions about divorce is this, is that the biblical instructions about divorce assume the possibility of remarriage. 
Uh, and the reason this detail is important is because some people, in seeking to apply this text to today, have sought to separate divorce from remarriage, saying that whereas divorce may be permissible, remarriage is not. But this misunderstands the original context. In the ancient world, the whole point of a certificate of divorce was to permit remarriage. In fact, Jewish divorce certificates included the words, you are free to remarry any man. So to discuss divorce is to discuss remarriage. To permit divorce is to permit remarriage. They're a package deal. And the regulation in Deuteronomy 24.1 that these Pharisees called to mind was primarily aimed at protecting women who had very few rights in the ancient world, particularly when the law of Moses was given. And the, the certificate of divorce enabled her to remarry so she would have some way to be cared for and provided for, and it protected her from being labeled an adulteress or a prostitute. Um, and so it was a way of regulating a situation so that it didn't get out of hand. So Jesus is going to acknowledge that, yes, Moses gave this instruction. He's going to agree with the Pharisees on that, but that that's not all that Moses said on the situation, and it didn't reflect God's original plan for marriage. Look at verse 5. But Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he, that is Moses, wrote this commandment. Notice this commandment. Even though Jesus agrees that it's uh, a permission, um, he calls it a commandment. And that's why I say I think Jesus is just using that word more broadly and generally in the sense of instruct. Now, why did Moses permit it? Well, Moses permitted it. He gave this instruction because of your hardness of heart. In other words, because of human sinfulness, because humans uh, were resistant to listening to God, following his intention and following his design, because, human, because of human sinfulness, Moses gave this instruction. Um, and so this instruction in the law of Moses there in Deuteronomy 24 isn't an endorsement per se of divorce. It seeks to regulate the practice of it to keep a bad situation from getting worse. But Moses has more to say that pertains to the issue, namely, What's God's intent for marriage in the first place? And that's where Jesus continues uh, going in his answer to the Pharisees. Look at verse 6. He says, but from the beginning of creation, that is, when God first designed marriage, uh, God invented it, God created it, and God has a goal for it. He has an intent for it, a telos, a goal for marriage. And we need to remember that God's instructions, whether on marriage or anything else, aren't arbitrary. Rather, they're rooted in creation. They're rooted in our creation, and thus they are rooted in the way things are designed to operate properly. So how did God design marriage to operate? Well, let's keep reading. Verse 6, from the beginning of creation, God created them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, and the two shall become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. Notice, when God first designed marriage, it was for male and female. That's part of 
uh, God's inherent design for marriage between male and female. Marriage also involves male and female becoming one. For this reason, the two shall, or the man shall leave his father and mother, and the two shall become one flesh. So male or marriage involves becoming one, and marriage involves forming a new family, leaving father and mother and creating a new family unit. The point Jesus is making in this context is simply this. A divorce, any divorce, reveals a failure somewhere along the lines of God's purpose for marriage. This is not God's design. So God gives a command or an instruction in Deuteronomy 24, but it's an instruction to regulate something that is already present and is out of sync with what God fully intended when he first designed and invented marriage at the beginning of creation. And frankly, if we're honest, that's why uh, so often marriage actually hurts so much is because it's, it's going against the way it was designed to function. And that's why Jesus says in verse 9, Therefore, what God has joined together, no person is to separate. In other words, like God created marriage. He's the designer and the inventor of it. So he's the one who's joined people together. Let no one, no person to separate or tear that apart. Since marriage makes a male and a female one, it ought not to be undone. That's Jesus' point. It goes against what God originally designed marriage to be. Now, that's Jesus' initial answer to the Pharisees. But once again, alone with his disciples, Jesus says this, verse 10, and in the house, the disciples again began questioning him about this. And the reason they're questioning him is because the prevalence of easy divorce in their culture. And so they're questioning him, wanting to understand, wow, that's a pretty high standard, Jesus. And verse 11, he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she herself divorces her husband and marries another man, she is committing adultery. Jesus states it as straightforward as he can for them. Divorce and remarriage, and remember they're a package deal, divorce and remarriage is adultery. That is, divorce and remarriage is a violation of the oneness of your first marriage. It's a form of unfaithfulness to your marriage covenant, your marriage vows. That's simply what divorce is and what divorce does because of God's intent from the very beginning. Now, this is a pretty straightforward and a, a challenging teaching of Jesus. It was challenging in their culture because of the prevalence of easy divorce. It's challenging in our culture. So let's just slow down for a second and reflect just a bit. In fact, let's take a little bit more time than often we do here in the listener's commentary, but I think this is so important. We need to reflect a little bit on what Jesus just said to us. And, and we need to just pause and say, man, that makes me squirm, right? Like if that makes you squirm, if that makes you want to maybe even protest or get a little upset, uh, we should at least consider this. Maybe Jesus' insight here explains why divorce is so painful and why there are so many natural consequences to it. Like this deep emotional and and physical and spiritual oneness, according to Jesus, has been violated. And if that's true, then it would make sense that there is pain, there is hurt, 
there is even uh, some shame, and there would be other consequences to it. And when we look at the effects of divorce, that's typically the case. Um, and whenever I have preached on this text or others like it, I've always sat down with members of the congregation beforehand who have been divorced. And we've had a really healthy and constructive conversation about it. And I've allowed them to speak into the sermon so I could hear their story. And the reality is virtually every single one of them, even those who said their, their uh, divorce was necessary because of the circumstances or the situation, even they said it was incredibly painful. Um, and so Jesus's insight explains why that's the case. Um, and, and at the same time, I think I understand why we, we maybe push back on what Jesus says here a little bit. Um, we maybe want to say, well, aren't there times when, right? And I get that. Uh, and I think sometimes we want to try to defend ourselves or defend our divorce or look for a loophole in God's law because we want to make sure that we're okay. Like, okay as a person and okay with God. Like, uh, as I said, oftentimes when I've preached through this, I've I've had people in the congregation help me write this sermon, people who've been divorced. I, I approached one gal one time to, to invite her to be part of this little pre-conversation and her first response was when I said, hey, I know that you've, you've gone through a divorce. Before I could even finish my thought, she said, I know. She hung her head in shame and said, am I going to hell? It's like, no, that's not the point at all. And I, I, I reassured her of that, gave her a hug, and I invited her into the conversation. And there's just so much shame associated with that. And we sometimes want to justify ourselves in, in, in an attempt to protect ourselves from guilt and shame. And I understand that urge because humans aren't meant to run on shame and guilt, right? We're meant to run on love. And so even if the divorce were legitimate, that doesn't eliminate the pain or the shame, does it? The reality is we live in a broken world full of broken people and tragically marriages come to an end. And that's the whole reason there was a certificate divorce uh, permitted in the law of Moses clear back in Deuteronomy 24. But that's not God's intent, right? Um, things don't go always the way God desires or the way we desire. Like who gets married planning on and desiring their marriage to end in divorce? Nobody. That's not what we want. That's not what God wanted for us either. And that's really the heart of Jesus' instructions here, that God has a more glorious, more grand ideal than that. Um, and he is going clear back to the beginning saying, yes, Moses allowed that. And he did so to help protect people in the midst of a a a situation where the hardness of heart has destroyed what what God brought together. But that's not God's intent, and that's not God's goal. And so when we think about marriage and we think about discipleship, um, what we need to do is become the kind of people who can live together uh, for the entirety of their life as one. That's what God originally intended. And in a fallen world, it doesn't always work out that way, but that's his original intent and that's his original design. And that's what Jesus is emphasizing here in Mark chapter 10.